0: Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. so we're just going to start talking and then at any point mm-hmm. feel free to just raise your hand if you have any observations questions are
1: greatly welcomed okay so i can ask a question about anything about well i mean maybe don't ask me what the secret to life is but well, i mean <laughs> would you know the answer because i want to nope. know
0: i know nothing So <laughs> <laughs> a little bit about leader Hey kids, and welcome to Follow the Leader, with me, your host, Mandy Madrid-Sigich. If you are a fan of the podcast, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And remember, if you like what we are doing on the podcast, tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies, because as I like to say, any publicity is good publicity. excited to deliver to you, my beloved listeners, a surprise bonus episode of Follow the Leader to accompany the Ruckert Extravaganza hosted by CSI. We'll get into a little bit more about that and why we are here today, but before we do, I want to introduce to you our special guest host, Emily Jewell. Oh my gosh, (laughs) what an introduction.
1: (laughs) I cannot contain my, like, supreme giddiness <laughs> at the fact that you are here. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe I'm sitting here right now. I don't even live here. I live in New York City. Yeah,
0: yeah. So could you tell Special. the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you think they should know about you and maybe sure. how we met?
1: Yeah. So, hi, listeners. My name's Emily Jewell. I'm a musical theater performer living in New York City. Um, Mandy and I go way back to when I used to live in Santa Barbara, California. Do they know that you live here? I think. Did I just like I tell think so. stalkers I where you live? Oh, I don't have any stalkers. Oh, well, you don't know you <laughs> might. Well, okay. Their address is I'm just kidding. Um, uh,
2: I think everyone so, knows I live in Santa Barbara.
1: <laughs> so, we used to live in Santa Barbara, California, and Mandy and I met doing a production of Assassins with Out of the Box Theater Company. And I walked into the rehearsal room and Mandy was at the piano, being the fabulous music director star that they are. And um, and I remember going home and being like, oh, thank God, a real musician who's my music director, like someone who plays so well and knows so many things about music. And so we bonded over Sondheim. But I'm like, I'm actually blushing. <laughs> And then we also got to co-music direct Spring Awakening. Yes. And that was quite a time as well.
0: Sometimes I forget that that happened. Yeah. It seems like... It was wild. Universes and lifetimes ago. It was lifetimes
1: ago. I mean, it was... That was over over a a decade. decade, Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's nuts. I'm
0: not that old. I
1: mean, apparently I am, but... we're not. In (laughs) fact, we're aging in reverse.
0: One one of my favorite... um, Memories of us together is driving across the country in that U-Haul oh when gosh. you moved to New York. Yes. And like I can't believe I drove. I Mandy Sikitch, the least capable driver on the planet, <laughs> drove a U-Haul
1: with a trailer and a car car on it. like with a car attached to it in the back. yeah. What? And my two dogs in the cabin <laughs> of the movie truck with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mandy was, was such a star. You drove all the way to <laughs> Iowa with me.
0: Yeah, it was like also emotional too, because I was I was <sighs> devastated when you and Alex left Santa Barbara like absolutely devastated you. And I have never had the chance to to tell the listeners this or share about you, but you are one of those rare performers that just is so intuitively there. I never have to like guess where you are and I feel like you never have to guess where I, it's just, we're so in sync and you're so clear and you're so committed and there's no doubting what you're doing or what's going on and the integrity like, Like the quality of your sound, the quality of the, it's, it's another thing entirely to perform with you and work with you. And I, I miss it so, 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 so much.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: We have, we have to do it again, like sooner rather
1: than later. I I know. Well, if you would just move to New York, then (laughs) we can just produce our own shit. Do you know when you first moved to New York,
0: I thought that that might kind of be on the table. Because back then, right? Yes. I was pursuing the music thing, like you yeah. know, full on. Yeah. And then ended up moving to London, which was equal parts awesome and equal parts difficult. Sure. And sure. ended up just kinda leaving the the industry altogether. Except except for this
1: t- t- little well, podcast. And if you ever decide, hey, I really want to play auditions in New York City or like random shit. Just let me know because I know so many <laughs> casting directors and people who are always looking for pianists but and I'll be like, Hey my friend Mandy's really great. Here's the thing. Like, I kind of just want to ride my bike. Well, that's fine, too. (laughs) Listen, ride your bike. You can ride your bike in Central Park. I mean, there's no mountains, but still. Very close. Just go upstate, and then you get the same experience. They probably
0: have some cool Am I selling New York hard enough? (laughs) Uh, Not yet. Not yet. Other than you being there, I'm not convinced, but that's okay. Listen, apparently the
1: rent is cheaper in New York City than it is in Santa (laughs) Barbara. That's a real good reason. So...
0: Uh, All that aside, why are we meeting for this special bonus episode? I have no idea. Well, let me tell you. (laughs) As many of my listeners know, at the beginning of this year, Follow the Leader became a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. What is Cincinnati Song
1: Initiative, you may be asking? What is Cincinnati Song (laughs) Initiative?
0: Or CSI for
1: short? Yeah, what is CSI?
0: (laughs) Well, Cincinnati Song Initiative was founded to bring a concentrated and cohesive source of song to the greater Cincinnati area, dedicated to providing unique experiences through the power of music and text, each performance creates a sense of relevance and active engagement between performers and audiences. This is achieved not only through song, but also through spoken dialogue by the artists, which provides a context and historical background that connects audiences to the repertoire. So it's just this really cool organization that's all about song. And I thought actually we I could have you read what their mission
1: is. I would love to. The Cincinnati Song Initiative connects communities through the world-class performance and innovation of song. Could you tell me a little bit about their vision? Yeah. Through accessible live performances and engaging digital content that entertains and educates, Cincinnati Song Initiative creates profound social impact throughout the world. And what are their values? Their values are artistry, collaboration, communication, and innovation.
0: So CSI also has a digital part where they have this like online membership where you can um, have access to, you can be anywhere in the world and you can have access to online events from live concerts and innovative media projects to educational webinars and intriguing interviews with composers. So if any of you listeners out there are interested in that, I would highly check out, um, I would highly recommend checking out uh, the Cincinnati Song Initiative. You could just find them on a quick Google search. I also have their website in my show notes. I can't remember the website off the top of my head. Oh, actually, I think I have it here at the very, very end. Their website is cincinnati CincinnatiSongInitiative.org. There you go. So, so well prepared, I surprised even myself. <laughs> okay, <laughs> next page. Right, so in the second program of its series, The Bellatrists, CSI explores an array of settings from the monumental poet Friedrich Ruckert. From well-known songs by Gustav Mahler to hidden gems from Richard Strauss, Clara Schumann, and Robert Schumann, the depth and poignancy of Ruckert's words shine through this glimmering program. And that's where I come in. I've been asked to produce an extra bonus episode of Follow the Leader to accompany the Ruckert program. So, Unless you're so any- listening to Mahler. <laughs> yeah. No, but good guess. That's a really good guess.
1: <laughs> uh, unless you have any questions. Let's dig in. You mean other than who are all of these people?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, if you would like to know who all of these people are, just listen to my podcast, Follow the Leader. (laughs) You can find it wherever you podcast. There you go. (laughs) Actually, I think you did listen to a very, very, very early episode of Follow the Leader. I definitely did. Because I sent it to you for like feedback when I was like trying to figure out what the fuck I was doing. Correct. And I just was, yeah, it was not... A good podcast back no. then and maybe it still wasn't
1: <laughs> i'm sure that it's amazing
0: well that being said <laughs> why don't we turn to the topic at hand okay dramatic music Maler. here I'm just <laughs> like a big mauler hit <laughs> The last of the grand old generation of German poets is dead. Within ten years, Eichendorff, Heine, Uhland have passed away, and now the death of Friedrich Rückert, the sole survivor of the minor gods who inhabited the higher slopes of the Weimar Olympus, closes the list of their names. I didn't write this, by the way.
1: <laughs> it's very dramatic.
2: <laughs> I I'm into it.
0: Yet. Although with these poets in time, Ruckert was not of them in the structure of his mind or the character of his poetical development. No author ever stood so lonely among his contemporaries. Looking over the long catalogue, not only of German but of European poets, we find no one with whom he can be compared. His birthplace is supposed to be Schweinfurt, but it is sought in reality somewhere on the banks of the euphrates his true contemporaries were saadi and hariri of basra that of course was from an article in the july 1886 edition of the atlantic
1: you know your favorite one (laughs) 1886 yeah rolling it back by
0: invoking the image of the Euphrates and the spirits of Persian and Arab poets, the author Bayard Taylor was referring to Friedrich Ruckert's extensive work as a what was then called German Orientalist, mm, as you might
1: guess. Problematic.
0: Yeah, there's a bit to unpack with that designation mm-hmm. and we will get into it. But before we do, let's just chat a little bit about the poet Friedrich Ruckert himself. I have to admit, this is one of those really hard German w- names for me to say. Yeah, you're doing a great job. I don't have the ger- the correct, like, German R. Anyway. Let's just call him FR. <laughs> FR, I like that. So... <laughs> Freddy R. Uh, I'm going to do my best with his name, but, like, please, listeners, like, do not come at me <laughs> this pronunciation. <laughs> so... Uh, good old FR was born yeah, in 1788. He worked as an editor for a while and he studied philology in depth. Listeners will remember another important poet who is also a philologist, Wilhelm Müller, whose Winterreise text we've been discussing throughout the course of season two of Follow the Leader. And for those of us who might have forgotten what philology is, Emily. Could
1: you remind us? I would love to, because I'm definitely not hearing this for the first time today. (laughs) Philology is the branch of knowledge that deals with the structure, historical development, and relationships of a language or languages.
0: Well said, well said.
1: Thank you. It helps that it was typed up on that paper Mm -hmm. for you. (laughs) Yeah, it was nice that I could read it. I didn't have to remember it exactly (laughs) word for word.
0: So Ruckert was a sensitive and very educated man with a deep, deep respect for the power of language. He held the view that we could all learn a great deal from reading poetry in languages other than our native tongue, which I highly agree with. He was convinced that understanding poetry from other parts of the world could help us to have access to differing views on life. That feels right. Exactly. I mean, look, the more exposure to more variety Mm -hmm. of things, I mean, the better, correct I yes. mean we
1: were just we were just talking about this at lunch it is the ultimate empathy bridge builder to have experiences that are unlike yours
0: yes and I think when you grapple with the language of a different group of people you yeah you just see things differently you, you, you just are prompted to think differently than you otherwise would I agree so, uh, Ruckert fell into a significant amount of translation work, and eventually he gained a mastery of over 30 languages,
1: Whoa. which is
0: nuts. And here's what's even Wait, crazier like he could speak 30
1: languages? He could
0: translate 30 languages. He could translate. So, so, he instance, could read,
1: understand, and translate 30 different languages. He, That's so, bananas.
0: So, it is absolutely insane. I think he he was just, like, a prodigy for languages. You read about these people who, like, they pick up a language in, Mm -hmm. like, two weeks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Also, there are some accounts that I read that said he actually spoke over 40, so... I mean, I think when wow. you're up in like the...
1: <laughs> After he, 10, right, it feels like. Like okay. 30,
0: 40, give or like, take 10, okay, a 175, dozen. 175,
1: like I whatever. I don't really
0: think it matters. So he spoke um, languages such as Arabic, Persian, old Ethiopian, Sanskrit. You know, the easiest stuff. <laughs> as a poet, he rose to prominence during Germany's struggle with Napoleon. Mm-hmm. And he published his first volume, Deutsche Gedichte, German poems, which includes The Sonnets in Arms, which was an important work that put towards the feeling shared by many of his countrymen during the time of the Napoleonic Wars. Another important and original work of his is The Kinder Leader, Songs on the Death of Children. He wrote this collection of an astounding 428 poems after the deaths of two of his children. Mm. The thing is, he never intended these to be published, but they were, in fact, published a few years after his death.
1: So it was like his exercise in grief. That it was,
0: then... and you can see him wrestling with all, all the feelings of grief, like the denial, the yeah. guilt, the, you know, wishing you could go back, a final, like, acceptance. Um, it's all there. And Mahler actually chose five of these poems, and he set them to music, mm. and It's crazy because Mahler actually lost a child after he wrote these. Mm. And he said that he would not have been able to write them afterwards because he just never would have been able to wrestle with those feelings having actually gone through it. And truth be told, there are so, so, so many more works um, by Ruckert that are important to the genre of leader. And there are 121 settings of his text to music. Um, And I promise that there will be more about them at some point in time, some point down the road. But uh, honestly, I had to like draw the line somewhere. Otherwise, (laughs) we would perish upon this couch before (laughs) we would finish. (laughs) Uh, Which actually doesn't sound like too bad of a way to go i have to say (laughs) notably rookert is most well known for his translation of the makamat of al hariri makamat i know you're probably wondering what
1: i am i have no idea (laughs) i'm just along for the ride and you know what you could just assume i don't know and i would really like you to tell me. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you whether you would like to know or I not.
0: What? And I have to say, as I was preparing for this episode, I realized there was just so much here. I probably should have planned to do it in five or 10 episodes because there's just so much content here. Uh, and listeners will know that I am famous for being the type of person who writes a book report longer than the book itself.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Something I was actually accused of when I was a child. That's hilarious. <laughs> You're just very
1: thorough. <laughs>
0: (laughs) I just like to have a full understanding and sometimes it's hard, especially when you're getting into things such as Arabic poetry of the 11th century, like, (laughs) which is what we are about. Oh, okay, great. (laughs) I can't wait. The makamat? (laughs) Yes. So makamat, I can't remember what the singular form of the word is, but this is the plural form of the word. Makamat uh, were uh, belonged to a literary genre that originated before Al Hariri, who was a poet, was even born. But Al Hariri elevated makamat to an impressive degree, and I'll tell you how. His makamat consists of fifty anecdotes told by a man named Abu Zayid to another man named Al Harith, who is the narrator. Abu Zayid is a trickster, and He's a wanderer, which is a theme that listeners of the podcast um, will be familiar with. The Makamat of Al-Hariri incorporate language that was spoken by the desert Arabs. So it has its idioms and subtle expressions. It includes its use of serious and light language, as well as metaphors, proverbs, grammatical riddles, double entendres, and more. So all of these things make it an absolute masterpiece of literary technique. And in fact... One of the anecdotes I found this so, so, so fascinating and just a marvel, it's called The Reversal and its sentences can be read in reverse, what? giving each passage an opposite meaning of what cool. the four... Isn't that nuts? Yeah, like, that's
1: really cool. What
0: has to be going on in your head no, to be able...
1: There is like a level of genius that some artists just possess, like... I. The facility with language, I don't even understand. Like I can't comprehend. And when I learn these things, it's a little like mini explosion in my brain. It's like whenever I study Sondheim, right? Uh-huh. Like whenever I'm yeah. like really like digging into a piece mm. and I'm like, oh, F, that means this. And then it goes back to this and it Yes. This the tiny, tiny little details that yes. you don't notice until your twelfth time through it. Yes. It's yeah. Yes. So I think this is one of those
0: pieces of work that's just absolutely mind-boggling in mm-hmm. how genius it is mm-hmm. and I did keep thinking that as I was researching all of these things it's actually quite difficult for me to write the writing part of my research or the writing part of this podcast is always what takes so 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 long because I feel like I can't do words good
1: <laughs> <laughs> well when you're talking about people who are mm, like perfection yeah at it it's really hard to feel like anything that you write it's going to sound well worth sharing alongside their name. But it is. Correct. You're very eloquent.
0: Uh, it's oh, going really well. Why, thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> I'll pay you for that compliment. <laughs> oh, later. I can't wait. I can't wait to be paid. I, I, in fact, I think I am paying you I with think, your glass um, of wine. I think
1: the Chardonnay is payment <laughs> enough.
0: So, Makamat in general were intended to be read aloud before a large gathering. And while it was customary at the time to embellish and improvise parts of Makamat, Al-Hariri intended his finished work to be recited without any embellishment whatsoever. You can imagine, because if he took all that time to write something that could be read both forward and backwards, like, it's got to be the way he wrote it. Do
1: what's on the page. Do what's on the page.
0: Exactly. So, you can see why a work of this nature was so appealing to someone with a facility of language that Ruckert had. Mm -hmm. Can you even imagine the challenge of having to translate this work into another like the
1: complexity no, you still have to be able to read it backwards and forwards right? right in another language
0: and i don't know the level to which he was successful but I, I assume it to be you know quite a high degree simply because he is so well known for mm-hmm. his translation of mm-hmm. this work um also it's just i respect it so much because I deal a lot with you know these the translations of the poems that we talk about on the podcast, and um, there's so many times where I'll, I'll read lots of different people's translations. And um, and you'll see that one person will catch the essence of something that another person won't quite catch. And, mm-hmm. um, if, and you realize that actually neither one of those really catches the true meaning, if you know the true German. And I'm not even a fluent German speaker. Like I have some facility like with the poetic language. Um, but it's just, it's such a crazy world when you're dealing with putting words and concepts from one language into another because it's just, it's an impossible task because one word in one language doesn't often carry all of the connotations that another
1: word has. Especially because the German language itself, I know, has so many different words to describe feelings that the English language simply does not. Mm. Like these extra delicious words that like really help describe something you're feeling.
0: And part of that is because they like to do this thing, it's totally escaping me what it's called right now, but where they just like smash words together. So I they'll take, that. you know, like a, a famous one for um, leader lovers is Walteinsamkeit, which is forest loneliness or forest solitude. It's a very specific type of feeling, yeah. right? This yeah. forest, soli- we don't, um, in the English language, we wouldn't have that specific of a, of a word right. to des- describe that. Right. Um, and yeah, so you're exactly right. Uh, okay, where was I? Gosh, I need to get back right to my notes. writing about something
1: here. on the leader podcast? You guys.
0: So <laughs> <Okay. exciting>. Congratulations! <laughs> I'll pour you another <laughs> glass of wine. <laughs> so, oh, now we have to get serious. Mm. Let's talk a little about this genre of work in which Ruckert was engaged. So he was officially titled a professor of quote oriental languages. And he was what was then considered to be a German, quote, orientalist. So I just want to preface this next part by saying that I'm trying my best here. My intention is to open up discussion about a word slash concept slash idea that you might know carries a lot of baggage, but you might not necessarily know exactly why. So I'm sorry if I'm not precise enough with my words Um, and if you think that I get anything wrong I'm more than happy for any listeners to write into the podcast at follow the leader podcast at gmail.com and let me know what you think or if there's a a correction that I need to make Um, or if there's even just a way that I (laughs) do my words more gooder. (laughs) Um, I'm truly more than happy for that feedback. So back in the day Europeans and, of course, Friedrich Ruckert must be counted among them, considered anything east of Europe to be the Far East. And already here we have problems because that promotes a very Eurocentric view of the world. As well as groups, masses of peoples together in a way that denies their diversity and individuality. Today... We would never say that the people of Saudi Arabia are the same as people from Japan or that people from Japan are the same as those from India or Korea. But back in the day, all these places would have been lumped together and considered, quote, the Orient. Literature and concepts from faraway places have often captured the imagination of artists, writers, all sorts of creators, right? Who can deny the allure of a far off mysterious land. Perhaps it's a story or a type of music, a fabric, a taste, a belief, a scent, anything tran- that transports you away from the every, everydayness of your homeland. Mm. So it makes sense that we'd be interested in things that are for us, out of the ordinary. But we have to remember those words, for us. For another person, say, the person living in that far off place, our own everyday ideas, music, artwork, beliefs would be considered out of the ordinary, perhaps alluring in their foreignness. So it really, there's there's not one part of the world, that's the center, and then everything else is other. No,
1: absolutely not.
0: I'm going to quote from an excellent article written by Christopher Hill about this topic. Though this article of his focus is mostly on the issue of not calling specifically Japan the Orient, I think the overall idea applies. Quote, there are several reasons scholars now avoid using phrases like the East, the Far East, and the Orient. Including the exoticism they convey, their association with modern empires, the skewed view of world geography they present, and their tendency to homogenize large, diverse parts of the world as if they shared a single cultural identity. In place of these big phrases, I would suggest the simple solution of being specific. If one means Japan, say so. If one means East Asia, use that phrase. Mm -hmm. They may not sound as grand, but they probably convey what one means better. Also, side note, it is never okay to call a person Oriental. No. Again, I repeat, people should never be assigned the designation Oriental. So that's where I'm gonna leave that for today. Um, I thought it was important because, I, I don't know, it just bothered me a lot as I was researching because it, this phrase was just being used over and over again. Like it's just fact. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, there ha- I did read some things that, for example, an Oriental rug, or Oriental spices—like those things—can kind of be passable, but I don't really see not how, really anymore. Right? Yeah, I don't really see how because it, it's just not specific enough. You're you're feeding into that same grouping together of of different peoples that denies mm-hmm. them their individuality, and that's not okay. No, one hundred
1: percent. Why are we erasing anyone's identity just to call them some other term that white people made up? Right. Right. They and didn't, that's not a term that they chose for themselves. That is a term that correct. white colonizers said about them. Yes. Correct.
0: And I think that so often there are things that are descended from colonialism that we just don't think enough about. Yeah. Uh, and this this to me is one of those things. So I, I really thought it was worth the discussion.
1: Do you with. find that, this is a question, yeah. do you find that there are a lot of things like that in classical music that you are yeah I mean against?
0: I've run I've definitely run across the whole western eastern thing yeah. like crazy um that happens a lot and just because so much of
1: um classical music let to say I would assume the answer is yeah, yes and you have a long list of examples for y-
0: yeah I, I mean we descended from musical tradition that originated in Europe right. so you know I love Schubert I'm addicted to Schubert like I can't get enough Schubert and and there's nothing wrong with that but you can't you can't deny other other types of music from other parts of the world. You can't deny the artistic transcendence of those other genres. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I haven't studied any of them to the same depth that I've I've studied leader um, specifically, you know Schubert and other other composers of the nineteenth century. Um, I don't deny that. Other genres have an absolutely like astounding value to them. Um, okay, where how do we get back to my notes here? (laughs) Great, I thought that it was important to have at least a very brief discussion on the issue. I don't think that was very brief, that wasn't brief. I'm all right with that. Mm -hmm. I think that, oh, right, okay, great, and we segue this specificity. In language is something that Ruckert would have been very much in support of given his love for language and the encouragement of exposure to various views of life of different people groups based on a familiarity with their poetic language. I think he'd be like 100% behind it. On a more personal note, Ruckert was an absolute introvert through and through. Mm -hmm. He was most happy when he was alone with books and manuscripts. People thought he was standoffish and were repelled by a nature that they perceived as cold. But he was genuinely just a shy man. Not that I'm comparing myself to Ruckert, but this is definitely (laughs) relatable to me. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times people have said like, oh, I thought you were like mean or intimidating or scary. (laughs)
1: Just because you're not like, hey, how are you? What's up? Hey, hi, how are I'm you? I'm not hi? good at
0: like making a uh, small talk. I'm not good at just like walk into a room and I have to like, inspect it first assess your surroundings i need to like know like who's everyone and what's going on who knows who and like how is this all anyway there's this one story i read about um rucker not enjoying being the center of attention so (laughs) imagine this he was 6'6 and oh my gosh yeah he that's very tall it's very tall he enjoyed spending the entire day in his dressing gown (laughs)
2: Wow. So
0: that gives you a little bit
1: of perspective on this story. What a sight. A six foot six
0: dressing Uh gown. So there was this one time when he attended a ceremony for the um, Prussian Pour le Mérite order in 1843. So he was the only one who attended without a medal of pure gold around his neck, despite the fact that he had actually received one just the year before. When someone asked him about it, he replied that his wife had used the ribbon to tie her bonnet. (laughs) Oh, cute. So he like wasn't into being ostentatious or yeah boastful he just like truly loved learning and had this crazy knowledge and this crazy ability but preferred to stay at home in his garden with his books and his dressing gown i love that (laughs) this is really sweet um rookert died at the age of 77 that's a long life back then yeah that's a long life and uh we're grateful for it because we just i mean he never stopped working he was so incredibly prolific so in preparing for this episode, I, of course, got overly ambitious, and I thought, I'm going to listen to every single setting of every rockert song ever, <laughs> or every rockert text ever.
1: How did that go for you?
0: Um, well, <laughs> I didn't make it very far. Uh, I, I mean, there's so many texts that, you know, leader lovers are already really familiar with. Um, so those uh, such as Du bist die Ruhe, Mein Schöner Stern, um, and as I mentioned, there's all of Kinder Totenlieder. Um, but... As I was, you know, becoming invested in this in this listening uh, scheme of mine, I discovered the text of Ferne Lieder set to music by the twentieth-century composer Alban Berg, and I realized I needed to look no further. I am absolutely obsessed with this song uh so that's the song that we're going to Yay. cover today okay do you know anything about this album Berg? nope <laughs> i didn't think you
1: would not like no offense like i actually <laughs> i have a bachelor's of fine arts and musical theater performance <laughs>
0: I, to be perfectly honest, didn't know a ton about him no, before see, you didn't researching. Him like there were some like, like I knew of his opera Wozzeck and I knew that, oh my God. Okay, there is, I know why I did not know much about Berg because I purposefully pushed him from my mind because there was this one time in London where I was playing one of his songs for a masterclass with Graham Johnson and Emily... I fucked up the ending Ah! so badly in front of Graham Johnson and the whole masterclass. It makes me sweat just thinking about it right now. So I think I kind of pushed like (laughs) Berg out of my mind
1: (laughs) because of that experience. He probably forgot that you messed up. I'm sure he did because I don't matter to him. I don't think anyone else is sweating about (laughs) it is (laughs) all I'm saying. I think think you can let that one go. But that
0: moment, I probably can't. (laughs) I
1: think it's going to live in like a special place in my
0: brain until the day I die. (laughs) Insecurities. (laughs) Okay, uh, so we got to talk about Berg. Berg was a member of the so-called Second Viennese School of Music, a school which consists of basically... Schoenberg, and his two students, Webern and Berg, though a few of Berg's students are often grouped in as well. Berg was born in Vienna in 1885 and actually showed a love for literature before he showed any interest in music. He only began composing at age 15 and had no formal musical education until 1904. I'm sorry, only began composing at
1: 15. Right, only. Like, oh, he waited until he was 15. Okay.
0: <laughs> I mean, he might as well call it a day. Yeah, you were basically a grown <laughs> One up One foot in the casket. <laughs> uh, so he had no formal musical education until 1904 when he began studying with the Arnold Schoenberg. Under the tutelage of Schoenberg, he learned about 12-tone technique and the concept of developing variation where everything within a composition, all aspects, are derived from a single idea. 12-tone technique, uh, in case you or any of the listeners are wondering, is this crazy compositional technique where all 12 tones within the chromatic scale are um, used in a are used like in a sequence and you cannot repeat one until all 12 have been used. And so like the entire oh. composition will be derived essentially like from that 12 tone row. So you could see how that could result in some music that seems like um, just very, uh, I don't know, intellectual uh-huh. and, and very like kind of rigidly structured. I personally am not the hugest fan of 12 tone music. I find it intellectually interesting, but not Maybe Entirely not so fun to
1: sing or play. pleasant to
0: listen mm. to. Yeah. Some people really dig it. I have a friend who's like super into singing 12 tone stuff. And yeah, she's super into it.
1: Well, uh, whatever yeah. floats your boat.
0: Yeah. You know? Um, okay. One of my favorite facts about Berg is that he was involved in something called the Scandal Concert.
2: Oh. <laughs> Which,
0: <laughs> uh, you guessed it, it, was a scandal. It was a scandal. <laughs> so yeah, here's the story. This concert took place in Vienna in 1913 and was conducted by Schoenberg. On the program were works by Webern, Zemlinsky, Schoenberg, Berg, and Mahler's *Kindertotenlieder*. But the audience never got to hear the Mahler because during the performance of Berg's two songs, the audience... Became so shocked and upset by the wildly experimental nature of the music that they began to riot, and they even called out for the poet and the composer to be committed to an asylum. They rioted, yes, in n- a concert. Not the only time, actually, that a riot has happened because of a concert. Oh my gosh, because.
1: Of 12-tone music? Because Is that why?
0: The, the music was so experimental. I think there were elements of 12-tone, 12, 12 like the 12-tone style in it. I did listen to um, excerpts from that song cycle. And yeah, it's it's not the most pleasant thing to listen to. But it's also not the worst thing I've ever heard. Uh, but I think for its time, it was, it was just wild. They could not... This was not music to them. Do you know what I mean?
1: The audacity that they think that they can just like riot during an artistic expression is...
0: I think, though, it's the same sort of thing. Like, even when rock... Think about when rock music, like, you know, came into the uh-huh. cultural view. Like, sure. people said that's not music. You know, and then right. rap came. and but people it arguably
2: said, that's not- is. that's <laughs>
1: Like it all is that's the thing. Like it, truly, yeah. are you doing some kind of rhythm or notes? Guess what? That's music. But people boop, had boop, all boop, these rules. I just made music. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> a masterpiece, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> um so, right so rules are bullshit but anyway continue with this game so these
0: culture. people were into the rules and Berg was not following them so like I said they they called out for the poet and composer to be committed to an asylum but oh, the ironic Louise. thing was was that the poet actually already was in an asylum oh. <laughs> I know I shouldn't be laughing it's very uh. sad uh that that's one of the ironies. With the kerfuffle and the hullabaloo wildly raging about, the concert organizer, a man named Erhard Buschbuck, ended up slapping a concert attendee square in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I can't, here's my favorite part, here's my favorite part. At the trial for this event, it was said that Buschbuck's punch had been the most harmonious sound at the entire concert. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I want to go to a scandal concert. Oh, my gosh.
1: Me, too. But what would that even look like now?
0: Honestly, I don't because that would be like a crowd
1: enraged. And that would be Yeah, no, I'm not into that. That sounds really unsafe. I don't think so. The introvert in you is like, no, no, no. I'll be home with my books. When I go to like a
0: concert that's like in a festival type setting, I'm always like on the fringe. Like I can't be like in the
1: thick of, you know, people. We went to Madison Square Garden and saw Lizzo a couple weeks ago, which (gasps) was fucking amazing but I was like (laughs) I am sitting way up here I want Mm -hmm. nothing to do with all of that down there it's too much for my anxiety
0: Uh, the part of me that's like you know rubbing my hands together saying like ooh what's up like that part of me is like ooh I want to go to a
1: scandal concert but every other part of me is like no scandal concert no you want to be across the street like in (laughs) the church with binoculars yes Yes. in like the the church bell tower with binoculars like a a cardigan on uh or like a shawl wrapped around exactly so (laughs) no one knows who you are but you got to absorb all of it as a
0: (laughs) oh man well I'm not sure if it was as a result of the scandal concert experience but Berg helped Schoenberg run his society for private musical performances which quote sought to create the ideal environment for the exploration and appreciation of unfamiliar new music by means of open rehearsals repeat performances and most importantly the exclusion of professional critics
1: Nice.
0: Yeah. And again, I'm not sure if that was as a result, but like you can see why they would want to exclude certain types of people and why they would try to create this kind of atmosphere because they knew what they were doing was experimental.
1: Right. Only people who are game to play get to come. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, As was often the case with many musicians during the third decade of the 20th century. Wait, is that the third or the fourth? That's technically the fourth decade. The 1930s. Um, Berg's music came to be considered degenerate and was eventually proscribed by the Nazi government, not because he was Jewish, but because he had studied with Schoenberg, who was. Sadly, Berg never got to see a resolution to this cultural slash political conflict in his home country because he died from sepsis on Mm. Christmas Eve of 1935. And this story is so bizarre. He got stung by a wasp in November. And so you know how like we all have bacteria on our skin, right? A wasp
1: sting gave yes. him sepsis.
0: Listen to this. Well, let me tell you some science right now. So we all have bacteria on our skin.
1: What <laughs> well, okay, too
0: bad you're going to get some. My listeners are actually very used to having science as part <laughs> of the podcast. I once did, my poor, my poor listeners, an entire episode on syphilis. Because wow. Schubert had syphilis, and it greatly affected his mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like mental state mm-hmm. and just kind of the state of mind he was in. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. Uh, so my listeners are already used to the science, so buckle up, Emily. I'm going to science you right now. can't wait. Uh, just a tiny bit, actually. We all have bacteria living on our skin, so like one of those is, I think, the cephalococcus bacteria, which can create staph infections. So um, what can often happen is if you get like a cut or a sting or a bite... Bacteria can get down in there and that's what happened. And so he got this like crazily infected hair follicle and that infection eventually seeped into his blood and he died from blood poisoning. Oh my gosh. Science. Science. <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, wild. It's just a dumb... It's a dumb ending. I hate when a composer's life story ends that way. It makes me so mad.
1: Because it just is like, oh, this is so boring and human. Uh,
0: no, it's like I, the human part of it. I, I just, mm, he deserved better. I feel like, you know, like. More time. More time or just, uh, no one was. How old was he? Ah, uh, 50. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not like the youngest composer who's ever died. There was another composer who like died because he got hit by a car on his bike or something like that, mm. and I just—they're dumb endings. I don't—I don't like them. They should have lived to a ripe old age and then died like a magnificent death in, the in forest. a firework. <laughs> in a firework, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay, so uh, the Leader, which we are going to be discussing today, uh, is from a collection that's called the Jugendlieder. The Jugendlieder are two volumes, each volume containing twenty-three songs with texts by various poets, including well-known poets such as Eichendorff, Goethe, Heine, as well as texts by many poets who are local to Berg's area and who Berg knew personally. More importantly for us today, though, he set two poems by Friedrich Rückert to music, one of which we will be discussing in more depth. The Eugen leader were written between 1901 and 1908, though they were not published until the years 1985 or 87.
1: Whoa, I'm
0: kind of unclear as to which year is correct, right? So it's actually a really bummer story. Why that is the case? Approximately 70 of Berg's leader were locked away after he died. His wife apparently kept them in a box hidden under her bed. And it wasn't just those songs either. Um, there were also sketches of the orchestration of his famous opera, Lulu. They were hidden there as well. Whoa. The orchestration of Lulu was unfinished at the time he died. So these sketches were eventually used to fit. So he had like composed the whole uh-huh. thing, but he just hadn't finished orchestration. Sure. Um, the way that uh, the world was exposed to these was that after his wife died, the manuscripts were found. And so, you know, people said, we we must finish this opera immediately. So the opera was finished right away, but the songs just sort of languished until they were published, like I said, in the mid 80s. And honestly, I'd love to record them all one day. They are so, so cool. And you can tell like the early ones were written before he was under the influence of Schoenberg. So, and then... As he, you remember, he began um, studying with him in 1904. And so you can hear the expanded chromaticism sort of begin to creep in throughout the course of the writing. Cool. Yeah. Uh, In the earlier songs, you can hear a more lyrical romantic style that's similar to that of Wolf and Strauss and Mahler. But uh, it's not necessarily fair, I feel like, to compare Berg's output to anyone else's because his song style really does just, just becomes like his own thing altogether so I think especially at the beginning because he had no formal musical education he was just kind of like writing right. things that were similar to, to what he saw. Ferner right. Lieder is number 13 in his first published volume of Jugendlieder. Uh, let us turn to a translation of the text. Mm. Ferne leader, distant songs, roses, a cypress grove. Over the sea in evening light, black swallows fly. Out of the white villa reaches a soft lament. A woman plays and sings songs of other days. A great silence spins. The fountains rise and the distant songs, our silence become loud. I love this. So few words and suddenly, we have an entire world set before us. I think in my mind, I see a vast expanse shrouded in shadows. The fountain is ancient and the cypress trees hold many secrets, have seen many things. The image of the sea hints at a far-off land across its vastness.
1: How might you imagine such a text to be set? Oh my goodness. I mean, it's it paints such a picture. It feels like it should be a sweeping melody with a really big crescendo somewhere, and then suddenly the ground is pulled out from underneath you, and there's some like beautiful, simple moments mm. of stillness.
0: Well, this is how Berg's version begins. Can't wait. Remember how the text said a woman plays and sings? Yeah. I think this is her accompaniment. Yeah. So perhaps it's on like some sort of stringed instrument. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe it's a personal instrument or an ancient one. I'm not really sure. But It's a simple and uncomplicated accompaniment, Mm. like the text of the poem itself. Because of how the poem plays out, though, when we first hear this, we don't realize this is her until later. The voice comes in and points out specific things we should notice. Roses. And that's actually followed by an exclamation point, which I think is interesting. Yeah, A cypress
1: grove an old like, fountain. Like they're surprised by the roses or something.
0: I think maybe the roses symbolize there's like a romance about this. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So he's pointing to the roses, a cypress grove, and the black swallows that are darting about.
2: Rose. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I forgot. You read music, so I need to get you... Yeah, oh my gosh, please let me look at it. Also, I was not expecting a male voice.
0: Uh, This is not gender specific. It can be sung by any gender. Oh, so this is being sung... (sighs) Can't believe i forgot to say this this is being sung by my uh, dear friend ryan bradford who i've actually never met in person oh um, we met on instagram during covid like when i was doing all those online collaborate or virtual yeah, collaborations yeah, yeah. we did one of them
1: um, we did two actually i think
0: oh yeah we Didn't did we? we did always and we did the one from john and jen yep. yeah we did um And so he and I collaborated on a few things. And when I first heard this, the first time I heard the song, I heard a baritone singing it. And for some reason, like Ryan just came to my mind. Like I knew that I must have Ryan sing this song. Like he would have just the right sensibility for it and the right sense of um, kind of, mystery and i i don't know i just i knew he had to sing it and so he was he was kind enough to agree so uh, i'll actually include the link to his website in the show notes if you're interested interested in learning more about ryan or want him to sing for your podcast <laughs> mm. um right so yes so it can't like i said it could be sung by any gender but more to your point about like okay who's saying this i think it's just some disembodied narrator honestly yeah that is pointing these things out and doesn't necessarily tell us how to feel about what we're seeing. It's just kind of plainly laying it out. Interesting. Let's listen to that one more time. Yeah.
2: press <laughs> Though things are moving,
0: the water of the fountain, the black swallows, it all seems a bit unnaturally still. We see all the signs of a transcendent and ancient beauty, but something seems unsettling. I'm waiting for the other shoe to Mm -hmm. drop. Mm -hmm. Then a short piano interlude with this gorgeous melody over the accompaniment pattern we heard earlier. Voice returns and points out a white villa, and the fact that the melody we hear is a soft lament. Yes. sense of urgency as we notice a woman playing and singing.
2: Frau, die und singt
0: it's only after this line is sung that we understand, aha, The simple accompaniment figure we heard was probably her own accompaniment, and the soft lament we heard in the piano interlude was actually her own soft lament. We are told that she sings songs of other days. What is she lamenting about, I wonder? Clearly she yearns. Is she lamenting a lover, her homeland, her family? I kind of think that the rose points to perhaps a romantic type of love, but I personally don't really know. We hear her accompaniment again, and then the final stanza where we learn that a great silence is being spun, and that her songs are the silence becomes sound.
2: From
0: Is perhaps she's been ghosted. I don't know if that's like too literal a reading of the text, but there's clearly something that she's waiting for. Is it words from a lover or from loved ones in a far off place? She's waiting in silence. And I think that as the silence grows and becomes greater and greater, it moves her to create her own sound to fill the silence. One of the ironies I, I find in this poem is that I actually don't like to dissect it too much. You mm-hmm. know, there are some poems that you like really want to know all the things. Like, mm-hmm. what does this mean? What does that mean? And like, I, I kind of do on this. Like, what, what did Rooker think was in her soft lament? But... The more I ponder what this silence means and and the why and the what she sings, the more I realize I kind of don't want to know. It's this mysterious little vignette that perhaps is best understood without understanding. Like I almost prefer to leave her shrouded in mystery rather than giving her a backstory. Well,
1: because then it can mean anything to anyone.
0: I've never really found that in a poem before. Usually I like to like understand all the things about the thing, (laughs) which is how we end up with two hour long podcast recording Ah -ah! sessions. But this thing, though, I've got to put it away and let the mystery live on. Do you want to take a full listen? I do. I want to hear the whole thing. Here we go.
2: Che press now.
1: so beautiful
0: yeah isn't that gorgeous I yeah. the first time I heard it I mean I was lis- I listened to a lot of songs with text by Ruckert. I, I truly did as I was preparing but when I got to this I just couldn't get it out of my head mm. I every time I would listen to another song I would think nope I need to mm-hmm. go back to that one uh, it's it's so stunning and uh, to be perfectly honest in general I think more of Berg's music or more of Berg's leader need to be performed and and I I think that they are coming to be more and more performed because you know as I was saying like this whole entire collection wasn't even published until the 80s and so we just haven't had as much time to come become familiar with it um but I I think we should be intentional about trying to perform his leader more because they're they're really so cool this one is after he started working with his teacher this one, I, uh, this one before this one I believe know? was actually before he started working with Schoenberg okay. uh, because I think this uh set was the first volume was like written I think between like 1901 and 1904
1: I want to say. say because this I was like there are some beautiful accidentals but nothing mm-hmm. about this makes me go uh riot
0: right yeah exactly <laughs> um honestly I cannot thank you enough for being here today <laughs> I, I I love just barraging my friends with it and the fact that you are here today and like
1: it's fun listen you spent a lot of time studying this and so it's nice that you can share your knowledge with others oh well thanks for thinking yeah. it's nice a lot of it people just nice. think it's weird i don't think it's weird it's something you're really into and that you're really knowledgeable about and it's fun to learn new things uh it is it's
0: so much fun to learn and new it's things. not like it's
1: a far cry off from what i do it's just a totally truly, different yeah. genre truly truly, than where i live Because we could do a Sondheim podcast and then I could be the nerd. To you. D- listen,
0: so. okay, do a Sondheim podcast, okay? <laughs> in all of your free time. <laughs> all of my free time.
1: With my three-year-old.
0: Uh, well, listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you just can't get enough of Fairna Leader in your life, then you might want to try singing it with me. You can find me on YouTube as Mandy Madrid Sikic. Click on the Leader Accompaniments playlist and start singing. Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places and please, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It's honestly the best way you can support the podcast follow the leader is a production of cincinnati song initiative you can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts you can also follow me on instagram at leader nerd that's at l-i-e-d-e-r-n-e-r-d see you later nerds Nerds. (laughs) (laughs) all right
1: did it. We did it! That was so fun. That
0: was so fun. Yes. Oh, I just licked my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> oh no!
1: I wish for that to never happen again. <laughs> Sick. Okay, stop <laughs> licking your microphone. Oh my god! Oh, my life is over. That was so creepy.
2: If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories. Where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.